Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services In Conversations with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to UBS On Air. My name is Deborah Ferris, and I am a senior strategist with the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial. So we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. We work with our clients to get to the heart of what is most important to them and help align their passions with charitable giving opportunities that achieve their philanthropic goals. Part of this process involves learning from others and hearing new, unique perspectives as well as connecting across communities and cultures to discuss the issues that impact us all. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting a conversation with Eric Stegman. Eric serves as Executive Director of Native Americans in Philanthropy, a national organization advocating for stronger and more meaningful investments by the philanthropic sector in tribal communities. Previously, he served as the Executive Director for the Center for Native American Youth at the Aspen Institute. He has held positions at the Center for American Progress on their Poverty to Prosperity team, as Majority Staff Counsel for the U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, and in the Obama Administration as a Policy Advisor at the U.S. Department of Education. Eric began his career in Washington, D.C. at the National Congress of American Indians Policy Research Center. He holds a J.D. from UCLA School of Law, an M.A. in American Indian Studies from UCLA's Graduate Division and a BA from Whittier College. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get this going. Um, I'd like to start by asking you to share the story of Native Americans in philanthropy. Can you give our listeners an overview of the history and the importance of the organization? Sure. Thanks for having me today, Deborah. It's a real pleasure. Our creation story is actually a really interesting one because we are actually over 30 years old. And we were founded by a group of Asian and Pacific Islander and Native American professionals in philanthropy who were at a Council on Foundations meeting back in 1989. And we started to really realize that we had a lot of the same frustrations with one another. We were uh, often invisible to too many funders in the field as communities. Uh, We didn't have the kinds of professional networks of support we needed, and neither of us really had an advocacy platform for our communities in the sector. So out of that um, meeting of those people over dinner one night, uh, both of our organizations were born. So our sister organization is Asian Pacific Islanders in Philanthropy, and that's that's sort of where we started. Wow, what a story. And it's been 30 years, or more than 30 years. And today, you know, how much of your work continues to include or is required to understand historical and cultural education? It's really most of what we do. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face as Native people, um, not just in philanthropy, but in the policy sector and a lot of others, is really this invisibility. Too many people don't really understand that um, we're made up of hundreds and hundreds of tribal nations today. We speak all sorts of different languages. We're a rich, diverse set of cultures. Um, But a lot of what uh, the public who isn't Native understands comes out of what they learned in their, you know, middle or high school textbook, which is very little. And 
often a lot of that education is is pretty far off of, of who we actually are as people. So a lot of our work is really um, helping the public better understand the kinds of systems uh, that have created a lot of the barriers in our lives, and particularly how a lot of those systems in the past and today were really designed to break down our culture, to take us out of our families and our communities. And so much of the work that we're all doing today, along with our tribal organizational partners, is really to help um, help heal our communities and to also make sure that the public better understands uh, where those investments need to go uh, to push back against a lot of those past barriers. Right. Wow. Um, you did mention a few minutes ago um, that your work, in addition to education, your work includes a great deal of advocacy. Um, the Native Americans in Philanthropy describes itself as an advocacy organization that promotes equitable and effective philanthropy in tribal communities. Can you tell us what that looks like and what does equitable and effective philanthropy specifically in tribal communities look like? Sure. One of the things that's really important for us as an organization is that we really live our own values. And, you know, in indigenous culture, we have a deep respect and appreciation for our relatives and relations. We really do believe we are connected to one another and we really do everything we can to be good relatives to one another. So we really try to embody that in our work in the field, um, in the philanthropic sector. So for us, equity is really about reciprocity with others and building trust and being in relation um, when it comes to our communities. So one of the things that we really try to do in the sector is to promote the, that value among funders. I think a lot of times um, funders don't have the right tools and resources or don't really understand why it matters to build good relationships, especially with community organizations, and what being a good relative really means. You know, how do you both mm -hmm. go about building that trust and how do you make sure that you're maintaining that trust with integrity with your grantee partners and, you know, others that you're funding? So that's a lot of um, how we see equity in, in the field is really about our relationships with one another. And effective? Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, the way that we see effective philanthropy is, is a variety of things. I think it's certainly about um, building those trusting relationships. I think the the backbone of our work, which is really about uh, education, is, is crucial. I think too often mm -hmm. a lot of funders um, who don't understand their communities are often making the wrong kinds of investments. Those decisions are best left to community leaders, um, those who understand their own culture and where those opportunities are. Um, so a lot of our work is about facilitating those relationships with the right community leaders and making sure that funders have the right tools and resources to understand how to not just invest those dollars, but to make sure that they're um, giving up the right kind of power in that relationship so the community leaders are are investing um, those dollars where they can have the most impact. And that's that's really how we look at it, the effective part of our work. Absolutely. You know, it's not unlike many other philanthropic groups. Um, everybody's looking to be the most effective and to make the largest impact they can in their community. Um, but I know that the tribal communities, as you mentioned before, there's an invisibility uh, factor, and um, that's part of why we're here today. Um, your organization recently published a report, Indigenous Community Leadership in Response to COVID-19, a call to action for the philanthropic select sector. Can you tell us what are those calls to action and what would be important for our listeners to learn and understand? 
Sure. One of the reasons that we decided to publish this report is because, like a lot of organizations like ours, when the pandemic hit, we really became sort of air traffic control for a lot of different kinds of funders who uh, wanted to to do what they could uh, to to help our communities, particularly when some of the the news coverage started to really increase around communities like the Navajo Nation um, that were hit really disproportionately Mm -hmm. in some of the Pueblos in the Southwest. And what we were seeing in the field was this amazing number of native-led organizations, mutual aid networks, funding intermediaries that were really raising dollars and getting those to the ground in some pretty incredible ways. And we really wanted to uh, to help document that. So we uh, we looked over all the native-led response funds and efforts that we could find and found that about $32.8 million were raised and distributed um, through most of last year um, in response to COVID. But in doing that, we also learned a lot uh, about um, how funders uh, could be improving their own work in tribal communities. So some of our calls to action uh, included um, diversifying vehicles for investment. There were a lot of new ways that uh, uh, coalitions were raising millions of dollars, including GoFundMe. And I know there's a lot of efforts out there right now um, being funded by Gates and others about how do we start to improve equity in some of these fundraising platforms because a lot of organizations really needed to use them. Uh, We definitely called on the sector to maximize general operating support, that flexibility uh, to pivot um, for those local organizations was absolutely crucial. And one of the most important things um, that we really uh, keep uh, trying to push uh, funders on is to to start investing in our strengths and not our deficits for too long. Tribal communities have really been about um, about funding problems and how to fix problems, and they haven't been um, focused on uh, community solutions, which is really um, what we were seeing in this uh, last several months during the pandemic. Yeah, it's definitely um, been a shift, and the pandemic has uh, definitely created. Um, a pivot, if you will, and how we, you know, how we uh, live our lives. It's definitely uh, changed our day to day and impacted pretty much everything we do. Um, what have you and your organization learned from the pandemic? Yeah, we learned a we learned a lot from the pandemic. I think you know we were really reminded how resilient our communities are. Um, you know, these activists and community leaders and and our youth leaders just responded so quickly and responded in ways that might be um, misunderstood by the outside world. So one of the, the things that most threaten our communities is that you know we have a lot of elders in different tribal areas that are the last remaining speakers of their language. And so those, some of those kinds of issues were really crucial. And we had youth organizations coming together in tribal communities to put together you know, food boxes for elders and all kinds of amazing things. So I think just seeing how our communities respond is something that I think our ancestors have, um, you know, been doing in a lot of different kinds of crises over the years. And that was, that was really inspiring. I think also, even though this was a, you know, a tragic and really long running situation, um, it really helped our community leaders think outside the box and, and, um, how they wanted to lead without thinking about the usual funding restrictions. So one of the reasons we really underline the general operating support is that, you know, you had organizations that might have been focused on one kind of direct service and all of a sudden overnight turned into a multi-service organization and coalition um, that was doing so many other things um, that they wouldn't have. But because they had the trust in their communities, 
they were the place to really be able to invest those dollars and to organize people to do whatever was needed. So that was really important. Um, and I think we, the last thing I'd say is that, you know, for us, it's that we're always best when we can approach things through our culture. Um, so much of our, so many of our challenges today as Native people are because our cultural institutions were taken from us through things like the boarding school mm -hmm. era and the child welfare system. And so, so many of the solutions that you see on the ground in our communities are about reconnecting multiple generations with our culture. So all of our organizations that were responding to these issues are doing so through, you know, really important cultural practices and institutions. Where we are looking at the kind of the backside of the pandemic, we have a vaccine, um, our communities are coming together. I know there's uh, Native American efforts and nonprofits to get the, uh, the vaccine, the vaccine distributed into your, into your tribal clinics. Um, in this post-pandemic future, uh, what, what are the goals of your organization of Native Americans and philanthropy? You know, organizations like ours play such a unique role in the field because we are really walking in many worlds. So on one level, we're part of the philanthropic sector. We're working day to day with funders to help them improve their own practice. But then we're also working with a large network of our native-led, you know, nonprofits uh, across the country. And I think that's a really important nexus right now when we look to the post-pandemic future. Uh, we are looking at a couple of things. I think one is that the, the pandemic uh, really laid bare all of the inequities that our communities deal with and all the disparities. The, you know, COVID-19 really unfortunately um, harmed our people uh, in a really disproportionate way. We, were, we were, had some of the highest death rates of any group in the country. Um, we have, you know, some really challenging issues with our health systems and a number of other uh, disparities. But in, in seeing that, I think the public started to better understand uh, where the opportunities are to really to really fix some of those things and invest in those future solutions. At the same time, we have some really amazing opportunities with some of the uh, new policies that are coming through. We uh, tribes had a very significant portion of the funding in the uh, latest CARES Act set aside um, to help rebuild their infrastructure and invest in their health systems. There's a lot of new energy around some of the um, tribal priorities that we have and things like rural broadband um, that's being proposed in the latest infrastructure package. So I think for us, our main role is to really help work with our tribal organizations to help them really build their own vision for their own community mm -hmm. and to make sure that funders understand what that vision looks like, but to also make sure that it's connected with some of these policy opportunities that too often get ignored. Uh, when it comes to public-private partnerships that are really going to change um, the future in our communities. So it's been a really tough time and continues to be, but I remain really um, optimistic about um, this new energy and, and attention from philanthropy on our communities. I agree. I think there's a lot of um, good coming out of the bad, if you will, um, and definitely a focus on uh, communities such as yours um, is definitely a positive coming out of the pandemic. Um, and the idea of really our community making a stronger investment is definitely something that we're hearing uh, throughout um, kind of our, our groups and the people we talk to. Um, you know, our listeners are really passionate philanthropists. 
And I know they will ask this question or rather they'll want to know kind of what can the philanthropic community do to bring this greater visibility and support of the tribal communities? How can they be most impactful for you? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I've been uh, really uh, counseling a lot of different um, donors, especially through the pandemic about when they ask this question is, is to again go back to our networks and our relationships. I think one of the exciting things about um, tribal philanthropy right now is that there's a really amazing set of organizations and leaders in the field who have really helped lift the profile of our communities um, to wider networks of funders, but are also working in partnership with a lot of those funders to, um, to really help increase the visibility of our communities. So like Edgar Villanueva on my board authored a book called Decolonizing Wealth. Um, that's really been a great um, opportunity to open conversations with funders. Um, we have a number of partners in the field who are native-led intermediary funders who are funding incredible grassroots organizations all over. We have our own um, intermediary fund called Native Voices Rising that we operate with the uh, Common Council Foundation. So one of the things I really urge funders to think about is to connect with those um, Native-led intermediary funders and others who are really connected deeply to those networks of organizations where they have trust. I think oftentimes a funder, you know, has a lot of interest to try to do the most good they can with a community like ours, but they don't understand all the complexities of the cultures, the nonprofits. And there's several organizations like ours out there um, that are here to do exactly that, that can both move money and move money to a lot of really great organizations, but to also help do that education and to facilitate relationship building with individual native-led organizations in a good way um, that really helps um, foster those connections uh, with the funders. So really urge everyone to um, look towards some of those organizations and um, you know, happy to help connect um, any of the folks in your network uh, with some of those native-led organizations. Thank you. Uh, there are so many organizations out there and I, I look to Look forward to kind of learning more through you uh, and especially for our listeners. You know, in a world today that seems so divided, um, connecting, you know, connecting people across cultures and, uh, you know, across our mutual passions is going to make our world a better place. Thank you so much for joining me today, Eric. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I know our listeners will appreciate hearing this perspective on such a powerful topic and I know they're going to want to learn more. So thank you for all the work uh, you do and for your organization. Thank you again for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.